Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online. We're at kpcg.fm. Coming up on today's program, quite a few stories to look at, including uh, some of the trouble that's going on in South Africa. Pretty bad situation down there, particularly if you are a white farmer. Uh, details about that. Also, the U.S. debt is uh, skyrocketing. More information about that. Now California is revolting against itself. Uh, there's some division even within the state. That and a lot more of this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live, 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm as well. Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon with me here today. Grant, uh, note to start, uh, I just thought this was interesting, a death TV personality who played Bozo the Clown is dead at 89. (laughs) I've never seen that program, but I'm aware of Bozo the Clown. I think everybody is. I've heard of it a lot, but I, I truly don't know where it came from. It was a show years ago. WCVB-TV says 89-year-old Frank Avruk, who played Bozo the Clown from 1959 to 1970, has died. So 89 years old, lived a good long life. He was he was the famous Bozo the Clown. <laughs> I have heard that clowns, uh, and I, I guess there are still people out there that are clowns, um, they really took a, a sort of a hit as far as popularity goes with some of the movies that came out, uh, It and other movies mm-hmm. like that, that had the clown as the bad guy. And then actually there were some real life uh, problems with clowns too. <laughs> but uh, so not not quite as popular as they used to be. A lot of people are actually terrified of clowns. They were originally invented to bring entertainment to people, you know, be at a circus or at a party or something and make people laugh. But it has changed quite a lot. Yeah, just it's not not, not what it used to be. They, uh, speaking of entertaining people, there was that uh, story over the weekend that Cirque du Soleil performer died mm. live during. I mean, during the show, it, I think it was a trapeze art trapeze artist, and they do all these daring and amazing flips and stunts, and they catch you know each other. But you know, if they don't, they die. It doesn't happen too often, but in this case, it did happen. So, I, you know, I always wonder that about even if you go to an NBA game. Uh, you have the halftime performers, and a lot of them are sort of uh, the, the acrobatic type. They do some pretty dangerous stunts, and I just wonder, uh, you know, if they ever get hurt and fall. And because if they did, I mean, sometimes they're I don't know, fifteen twenty feet in the air doing something. If you fell and landed on that hard court, you could do serious damage. In any event, I don't imagine a career like that goes on too long. You you can't be. I don't think you can be 50 and still out there doing those things. It's too risky as well. If they're smart, they would probably get out of that as soon as they possibly could and uh, avoid the possibility of a horrible accident. I always wonder, too, what they do in a, in the case of like Cirque du Soleil or some of these other uh, events when an accident happens. Do they just stop the whole show? Yeah, I don't know. I would. You'd think you'd have to and just... I don't know, give people their money back or something. But anyway, that that happened over the weekend with that. So the, there are uh, 
they don't have the circuses anymore like they used to. I think they closed most of those down, but they you can still go see shows in I think Las Vegas and other places. But uh, anyway, it's, a, it's an interesting industry. Uh, there's uh, quite a few headlines to look at today, yeah, including this uh, one story here about South Africa. Uh, your wife's from South Africa originally, yeah. uh, and it's it's a beautiful land, but lots of problems. This uh, headline is from uh, Australia, and it says, South African politician says Australia is a racist country, and farmers should leave the keys when they go. So they want the white farmers to get out. They're not thinking about who's going to raise the food to feed them. But anyway, Julius uh, Malema, who was convicted of hate speech in 2011 for singing the apartheid-era revolutionary song, Shoot the Boar, Kill the Farmer, and in 2016 told supporters he was, quote, not calling for the slaughter of white people, at least not now, uh, <clears throat> said farmers should leave quietly. We're too busy, he said. Don't make noise because you will irritate us. Go to Australia. It is only racists who went to Australia when Mandela got out of prison. It is only racists who went to Australia when 1994 came. It is the racist again, who are going back to Australia. But he said they would be poor in Australia. Uh, they are rich here because they are exploiting black people, he said. There is no black person to be exploited in Australia. They are going to be poor. I don't... It's just He says a lot of things. Uh, he also said they will come back here with their tail between their legs. They We will hire them because we will be the owners of their farms when they come back to South Africa. As to what we are going to do with the land, it's our business. It's none of your business. I think we're, we know what they're going to do with the land, which is nothing. This is quite frankly what usually happens there. Uh, so anyway, a lot of uh, inflammatory rhetoric there in Australia. Last month it says South Africa's parliament voted in favor of a motion brought by the EFF and supported by the ruling African National Congress to begin the process of uh, taking white-owned land without compensation. Uh, can you imagine being, being a person there that's worked to farm for generations and all of a sudden they're going to take it? A 2017 government audit found white people owned 72% of farmland in South Africa. According to a 2011 census, there are about 4.6 million white people in South Africa, accounting for 8.9% of the population. The racially charged issue of land rights and farm murders has been the subject of fierce debate in the country and internationally. According to civil rights group Afroforum, which represents around 200,000 white farmers, largely from the Afrikaner minority, 82 people were killed in a record 423 attacks on farms last year. Now, they're also see the, the leadership there in South Africa, some of them are claiming that there's no violence or anything, but, and they won't report it, but the numbers are pretty astounding. 430, 423 attacks last year, 82 people killed. In 2018, so far, there have already been 109 attacks and more than 15 murders. So they're sitting there accusing, I guess, the uh, white farmers of being racist while they're killing them and trying to take their lands. Yeah, you mentioned my wife is from South Africa, and she does get pretty fired up about this because uh, they take away land that white farmers have had for generations. And like was recently brought out on the Trumpet Hour program, the whites there in the first place didn't even take the land away from black farmers. The land wasn't being used by anybody, and they came in there and started farming it. So even that part of it is a lie if you actually look at the history. But then they're trying to take away land that has been passed down through the generations uh, to white families, and that's only that's only fair, too. Uh, but then they have basically farmers training up their sons how to, how to till the land, 
uh, why would you give that away to someone who has never had any experience in it just based on the fact that their skin color is black obviously there's going to be a big uh, hit to production when you do something like that because they don't have the experience in that field it's not a racial thing it's not to say that they're less intelligent but they haven't been getting trained for generations on how to operate a farm they they're not ready to just take land as soon as the government seizes it and gives it to them yeah that'd be the same as uh I guess myself, all of a sudden being in charge of a farm with no experience, I'd be like, what do I do? How does this work? Uh, An estimated 500,000 white South Africans have left the country over the past three decades with more than 200,000 settling in Australia. Uh, South Africa is a really interesting nation. There's um, There's a Trumpet Daily program, The Truth About Nelson Mandela in South Africa by Stephen Fleury, that you can go back and look at. Of course, he died a few years ago. And it says, as the world celebrates Nelson Mandela's role in ending apartheid in South Africa, few people are telling the truth about his disturbing ties to communism and acts of terrorism. Fewer still are telling the truth about South Africa today, a nation worse off than it was when it was governed by the United Kingdom. And then there's another write-up at thetrumpet.com that adds this. Uh, It says, more white farmers were murdered in South Africa during just 2009 than have been killed in Zimbabwe since Robert Mugabe came to power. Since the end of apartheid, over 3,000 white farmers have been murdered, according to the BBC. South Africa's News 24, on the other hand, says there have been only, (laughs) quote, uh, 1,600 farmers killed in approximately 10,000 farm attacks since 1991. Even if that figure is true, it would still make farming in South Africa one of the most dangerous professions in the world. Farming is supposed to be a peaceful profession. White farmers are more than twice as likely to be killed as police officers and far more likely to be killed than miners. What what great crime are they committing besides raising food that feeds a nation? Yeah, they, they should be getting a lot more of the respect. I mean, 423 attacks on farms last year, uh, and obviously a big number of people on those farms during the attacks get killed as well. It's just an epidemic going on, uh, and it should tell you a lot that their government doesn't even release the, st- the statistics anymore about farm attacks. <clears throat> it is uh, just a complete outrage what this politician was saying, because he's saying white people get rich by exploiting black people. The whites there are 9% of the population. They have no power. There's no way they could exploit black people. I mean, that's a that's a country where real hate and real racism uh, truly does exist on a large scale. We complain about that here all the time, but th- this is a, this is a real nation that has big problems uh, that we're s- trying to pretend that we have when we really don't. I mean, it, it's a it's a situation where if you're pulled up at a red light, any car coming up next to you will try to rob you. There are a lot of uh, black gangs that will just pull up right next to you with a, a knife or a gun. Uh, also, South Africa pretty much limits all guns, so people don't really have a way to protect themselves. Even farmers pretty much are at the mercy of whenever a gang decides to attack because they don't have much of a way of fighting back at all. Uh, even if you get pulled over by police, Anya has told me, my wife has told me that you just keep going until you're in a public, well lit location. You don't stop on the side of the road out in the middle of nowhere in the dark because you don't know what could happen. That's real police brutality. That's that's a real issue that's going on over there and yet we complain about it when when it's not even the case here. Yeah. Well, it's a terrible situation in that nation. It doesn't get enough headlines either. It's kind of a 
well, it's not the top stories, and it really it should be focused on a lot more, and there's nobody intervening to do anything about it. Uh, and it's interesting, too, because uh, Julius Malema, one of his other comments was, uh, and his comments are just so ridiculous, but he said that, uh, you know, his ancestors, they all they wanted to do, all they wanted to do is negotiate. They just want to negotiate, and, and it's the white people that are trying to kill everybody. Hey, we just want to negotiate. And then you look at the statistics of how many are being killed, white farmers. He's a liar. He's just a flat-out liar, and and yet he just continues to talk. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's absolutely amazing, and it is, like you say, it is the uh, uh, the epitome of racism. He talks about racism. He's the most racist person there is. And he's calling white people racist just for leaving the nation. They're clearly not wanted there at all. Why would why would they stay? And that's my wife's family's trying to get out of the country, and and a lot of people have been advised to do that because. It's not safe for them anymore. They're living in basically like compounds where they have high high fences or brick walls with barbed wire at the top, really, really high-tech security systems in place on their personal property because at any time you could just have someone try to ransack your house. It, there's no respect for the rule of law there, and it does come primarily from the black race. I mean, that has to be said. They're, they're acting like whites are out there just stomping people to death, and that's just not happening. It's interesting, too, when you, when you look at, uh, say, the history of South Africa, there's a lot of, uh, well, there's a lot of opinion about, you know, uh, colonization and so forth. And uh, it's hard to get, it's hard to get any real honest uh, history there because it's very, it's very biased usually. And I looked up a few, a few sources on it and, and they're so ridiculous. They're talking about the history of South Africa, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. Well, I hate, I hate to burst everyone's bubble, but there weren't <laughs> any people at that time. And they're talking about, like, they know. Well, in the Stone Age and then the Mid-Stone Age, they were doing this and that. And <laughs> it's, it is just absolutely ridiculous. So on one hand, they, they're ignoring the real history, but then they're inventing these fairy tales about what happened, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. And they're calling that recent history. You know, so I know that's uh, academic uh, heresy to say there weren't humans around at that point. But, uh, you know, come on. They've only had 6,000 years, yeah. not, not hundreds of thousands uh, as, as a human population. But, yeah, the, the, the blacks basically over there are in a pretty good position because they're the vast majority of the population. They have leaders that obviously prefer them vastly over whites. Uh, but, but they're still saying that white people are exploiting them. Aren't the leaders black? Why, why would it be that the white people are exploiting the population? Well, and it's just ridiculous, just the comments being made here by, by Malema, is that, you know, on one hand he's saying, if you go to Australia as a white farmer trying to get out, you're, you're racist. But then we want you to get out of here. But then you're going to come back, and then you're going to work for us. Like, it's just all this crazy talk. What, what I, I thought, I thought the, the big dream that everyone had was everyone got along equally. You never see that happen. You always see somebody wanting to dominate somebody else, particularly when Gentile powers rise. I mean, we are entering into the times of the Gentiles. And if you you look at um, Gentile nations, Russia, China, uh, you name it, um, they don't treat people kindly. They have no history of doing that, and they're not doing that in South Africa. Apartheid is seen as just some abhorrent evil today, but in South Africa that was necessary because the two races were— basically constantly fighting uh when the british empire got involved with that 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 was on that recent trumpet hour program as well uh and that's the way that god talks about in the bible uh just 
segregating the races that's seen as really evil but look what happens when we integrate it doesn't work out i mean going the opposite of what god says hasn't ever worked i mean in 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 the future all races will be able to visit each other and they'll get to enjoy time together but the boundaries of the nations will be separated by race that's just what it says in the bible and people can get offended by that but uh, it's not a racist thing. It's just a way of maintaining the peace, maintaining the distinction and the beauty of the different races. People naturally do that anyway. I mean, even oh even, yeah, even in in say uh, melting pot societies, everyone flocks to they flock together. It's just the way. It goes. Yeah, we try to have multiculturalism in the Western nations, but it never actually turns out that way. And yet, people never stop to consider that maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. If even we're naturally just doing that while saying that we're trying to do the exact opposite, there might be a reason for that. Yeah. A bad situation in South Africa. So anyway, uh, lots of uh, interesting headlines if you dig a little bit and see what's going on over there, just outrageous stuff. It's amazing, too. Uh, sometimes leaders will come out like uh, this Julius Malema and say some just outrageous things. And I don't know. It's it's odd. It seems like we're in a time period, sort of like pre-World War II, or very much like that, where you know, uh, Hitler would say pretty outrageous things. And it's like people don't take it seriously. Like, oh, come on, you, you wouldn't really act that way. You really wouldn't do that. Well, the Bible says how the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so probably will do these things. <laughs> I mean, that's they're telling these leaders, a lot of them, I mean, if you look at some of them are more sophisticated, like a Putin or a, a Xi over in China, a little more sophisticated. But uh, listen to them. Just listen to what they say. They tell you what they're going to do. They're going to take over the world. That's, that's their goal anyway, and in, in the case of South Africa, they want to destroy the whites. Well, there's two options whenever we hear leaders talking like that. Oh, the first one is a lot harder. You just believe what they say and prepare accordingly to face the problem and defeat it. Or the second one is to pretend like they're just joking so that we don't have to have any problems. In our own imaginations, no problems exist, and therefore we don't have to work hard to overcome anything. These leaders are... A problem and they have to be dealt with that's that's the first option that no one wants to go to yeah you have these very serious headlines like south africa or these or other nations but that you look at some of the top stories today and it's about who would win a fisticuffs between joe biden and president trump yeah. <laughs> it's you know it's uh it's amazing what takes the top spots <laughs> uh this is a really this should be a very disturbing story to all of us even though i know we know it all or know, know of these things uh, this is from Market Watch. It says, it didn't take long for the U.S. to rack up another trillion dollars of debt. You just got to stop and think about this for a minute. It has taken a little more than six months for the U.S. national debt to grow by a trillion dollars. A quick clip that has little precedent over the nation's recent history. Last week, the debt hit $21 trillion for the first time, rising from the $20 trillion market notched on September 8th. The debt is guaranteed to go higher, with President Trump having signed a debt limit suspension in February, allowing unlimited borrowing through March 1st, 2019. Economists expect wider deficits to result. Uh, they say with a, while the trillion-dollar increase over roughly six months isn't unprecedented, there was one in 2009 during the Great Recession and another in 2010, it's certainly fast. The national debt exceeded $20 trillion in September 2017 after taking 20 months to add a trillion dollars. A debt limit that had been in place since March 2015 was raised in March 2017, and again, it just keeps going. The first time the nation's debt hit $1 trillion was in October 1981 during the uh, Reagan, Reagan's first term. Uh, so you think about that. 1981, we had $1 trillion in debt. We have $21 trillion today. 
It's probably more than that. Looking ahead, analysts see the nation much deeper in debt. The Committee for a Responsible Budget projects trillion-dollar deficits returning permanently by next year and debt exceeding the size of the economy within a decade. I mean, you stop and just think about these numbers and this debt. And uh, uh, even last night, I was I checked the headlines, and it's talking about these tariffs that President Trump uh, is putting in place or thinking about putting in place. And China hit back and said, "Get ready for some pain," you know. And and so, uh, although we're having a little bit of a temporary respite, I guess, where people are feeling kind of good about the economy, you look at these debt numbers. And we're talking about a debt that's going to uh, exceed the size of the entire economy. You got to know that's we we have to know that's not sustainable. The U.S. as a country cannot exist under those conditions. The U.S. debt clock shows the debt increasing by about a million dollars every single minute. If you just watch it, those numbers are just flashing by to where you can hardly even see them, and, and it just the debt is going up at such a rapid pace that it's terrifying to even think about it very much. If you stacked up uh, $1 bills, uh, 21 trillion of them, it would go to the moon and then four times past that as well. That that distance and then another four times that. That's how far it would go just by stacking 21 trillion $1 bills. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, it, yeah, you just, you just we're so used to hearing those numbers that maybe we get a little numb to them, you know. And and it's easy to kind of get into the thinking of, well, what's the difference? Twenty one trillion, twenty five trillion, 20. but when you start talking about the debt being greater than nation nation's entire economy, um, no, that's never going to be paid back. So what do we do about that? You know, um, what happens when these debts start to explode and 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 problems uh, happen? You, you know, if you you can look at the Trumpet dot com and there's a lot of write ups about uh, trade war and and uh, the U S being frozen out uh, eventually and there being a mart of nations. We're in a really bad spot economically, really really bad. And uh, I don't know, it's it's that kick the can down the road mentality. Like ah, it'll come due at some point, but we won't worry about it today. Uh, but if you really stop and just think about those numbers, I'm no, I'm no, uh, uh, great mathematician or, uh, <laughs> economist, but, but I know it's bad and you can't, when you, when you're, you owe more than you're worth, eventually something happens bad. That's right. And what we often do to try to make up for the debt going up like this is we just have to end up printing a lot of money. Taxes have to be raised to satisfy our insatiable appetite for spending in this country and so much of it's just welfare programs that's so much of what our spending goes to but today uh, a balanced budget is actually unthinkable we can't even imagine what it would be like to not go hundreds of billions over the budget every single or over the debt line every single budget it just doesn't happen anymore it used to be regular practice uh, until like it says, less than 40 years ago when we first hit a trillion dollars in debt. And even after that, it used to be common that the budget would at least be balanced sometimes, not at all now. And you print off all this money, it just leads to a lot of inflation. Um, We've seen historically what happens to nations when the money inflates like that, where a whole wheelbarrow full of cash might pay for like half a stick of butter. That's what happens when the money is printed like that and the money loses its value. It's uh, pretty startling numbers. Uh, Here's a story from Breitbart. Uh, More California cities seek to defy sanctuary state as revolt spreads. So California is kind of having their own sort of 
political civil war, at least. There's just different, a lot of different ideas within California. California in general is kind of an anti-federal government, anti a lot of the other states in the U.S., but even within California, you, you've probably seen, they've even kind of drawn up maps where they want to split up California, like for the conservatives in one spot and the liberals in another. I don't Liberals always get the coast. I don't know why that's the case. Yeah, that's what the, if you were being really accurate with the split, it would be a really, really narrow narrow strip along the left of along the west coast of california yeah and that would be for the the, the blue and then the red would be the whole rest of the state <laughs> we want the ocean we want the ocean too <laughs> but uh, they say more california cities may consider defying the state's sanctuary state laws after the city council of los alamitos passed an uh, ordinance defying the state's controversial new legislation preventing cooperation with federal immigration authorities Leaders of Los uh, Alamitos in Orange County passed the ordinance 4-1 to and instructed the city attorney to file an uh, amicus brief in the ongoing Department of Justice lawsuit against the state of California. The lawsuit challenges the Immigrant Worker Protection Act, the, <laughs> the inspection and the review of facilities housing federal detainees law, and the California Values Act. They have a California Values Act. Oof. <laughs> not not related to the Ten Commandments, by the way. <laughs> it says the Orange County Register reports the other cities, uh, that other cities, even uh, Orange County itself, are now thinking of following suit. We talked yesterday about how Orange County is very upset about all these uh, homeless people they want to dump there for a while. And, uh, and so some of these cities are saying, hey, look, we're not, we don't support all this illegal immigration. We're, we don't support this. Yes, we live in the state of California, but we do not... Uh, agree with the politicians and i think it's just interesting to sh- it just shows that there there are a lot of people that uh, even in a state like california they they have very liberal politicians but a lot of them do not agree with those very liberal uh, radical ideas and so you would think listening to the politicians that all they care about is doing the will of the people but <laughs> a lot of the people don't like what they're doing and in this case some california cities are uh, actually taking it to court the word revolution has been thrown out really recklessly lately, and that's what a lot of politicians on the left, and specifically it seems like in California, have been talking about openly. They want to revolt. They want to overthrow the systems that are already in place, and they're just causing so much division right now by defying the federal government. This is this is common sense stuff that they are now contradicting. They're going against just simply holding illegals in detainer cells uh, until the federal government gets there half an hour later. They're not even having to go out of their way to detain these people, but if they arrest them and find out that they're illegal, just hold them there a little bit longer, let the federal government show up and deal with them accordingly, and they won't even do that. They just go ahead and release them right back out into the population sometimes. I mean, that's the peak of insanity. If you're trying to protect American people and you want to put American people first, why would you let criminals go right back out into the streets? It would never happen if those were American criminals. Yeah. And and a lot of that property uh, in California is very expensive. So you have people there that have paid a lot to live there and they don't want homeless, uh, illegal immigrants, uh, the crime that comes with all of those things. They don't want that dumped on their doorstep. So you you could understand why they'd be upset. You know, it's a beautiful area, the beautiful weather in some of those locations. And if you've, uh, if some people have moved out there or retired or something, 
they want to enjoy that. They don't they don't want all the things that that again all all of their uh, the state policies are bringing. Uh, I mean, what kind of a place is that if you allow rampant homelessness, if you allow illegal immigration, if you allow them to to break all the laws? Okay, go ahead, have it. But what do you have now? <laughs> Does anybody want to live there? I don't think anybody would want to live there. If you had a plan to destabilize a country or, in this case, a state, uh, what would you do? You'd probably legalize as many drugs as possible. You'd probably make it okay for homeless people to live in the center of uh, all of your nicest, biggest cities. Uh, you, you would allow illegals, criminal murderous illegals to just roam for free on the streets uh, without any consequences. You'd probably even warn them ahead of time before they were about to get deported. Uh, so everything that California is doing right now, taxing people beyond what can be afforded to where they're pretty much having to live in their cars a lot of the time, that's almost forcing a homelessness crisis. Well, those are all the things that you would do if you were planning to tear something down. Those are not policies that stabilize an area or that build up a community and make it a more beautiful, unified place. They're they're literally just trying to tear the place apart. There's some really good write-ups at thetrumpet.com about California. If you just search California, you can find out a lot about what's really going on there, why so many problems. Uh, there was even a comment on this particular story where some cities seek to defy the sanctuary state uh, laws, uh, and the person said, Two days in a row with common sense stories coming out of California. What's happening? <laughs> they were stunned by it. Some people, uh, some people don't like what's going on there. Well, keep in mind, a, a communist state never just forms by itself. It always has to use uh, an existing society breaking down and then taking that over. And that's, it looks like that's exactly what's going on in this state and a lot of other left-leaning states with the entire radical left in this nation. They're stirring up a lot of strife, racially, financially, whatever it is. Every area you look, uh, a lot of division is being stirred up, and that is what the end goal is. It's a communist state. And they're a population that is ripe for the picking because yeah. there's a very, very uh, limited understanding of history, so they don't really know what's going on. Uh, we're going to talk about history a little bit later, but I, I happened to see a video the other day. I was one of these guys. They, they go out and they like to ask people questions. And I was in California there, and and I'm sure they pick the ones that are the most <laughs> clueless. But still, some really basic questions about they were asking who won the Civil War, and they were they didn't know. And they asked, uh, you know, which party freed the slaves, and they 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 said it was the Democrats, which of course <laughs> is not the truth. Uh, it's just just really basic things that you would you would know at least on some level, and they just had no clue about it. Yeah, and didn't even really seem to be um, that upset about it. And so I don't know how, how uh, well, I think that is, it is pretty reflective of the society. Maybe not everybody's that extreme, but as far as there's no historical understanding, I mean, you're ripe for the picking for any sort of new ideology that comes in because you're not aware of the fact that it's been tried before and uh, it hasn't worked. As a matter of fact, it's happening in other places on this earth right now and it doesn't work well. The people in those videos always show a shocking ignorance of history and also even just current events. Like they'll have strong opinions on uh, President Trump or former President Obama, uh, but someone will go out there and ask them, "What do you think of uh, you know Bernie Sanders' tax plan?" and 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 they'll outline actually President Trump's tax plan, 
and they'll say, oh, I love it. I love every bit of it. That sounds amazing. Getting rid of it, the death tax, that's fantastic. More more bonuses for people uh, because the businesses have more money. That's absolutely amazing. And then they're like, well, this is actually President Trump's plan, and you love it, but you didn't love it because it had a Republican who who was pushing it. Right. So, and, and it happens all the time where they'll put up quotes from, say, Mr. Trump versus Hillary Clinton, and and they'll ask which one said this and they'll they'll think oh well that sounds kind of racist so obviously Mr. Trump said it and it wouldn't even be true but because it's a republican and they've been brainwashed they go right along with what they've been taught so many times that the democrats are the good ones the republicans are the bad ones they don't bother to look into it for themselves that's just what they've been told in school yeah makes for some funny videos but but <laughs> scary actually when you that's what people think You've probably heard a lot about this next story. Um, it's come out here lately about uh, Facebook being in trouble or potentially for uh, allowing data to be taken and used in the Trump campaign. Uh, you know, sound the alarms. Uh, Investors.com has this write-up. Funny, they say, when Obama harvested Facebook data on millions of users to win in 2012, everyone cheered. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a complex story, but when you hear it reported on, it's, I don't know, it, it tends to be a little bit of a yawner, I think, you know, data and somebody took it and what's going on. Well, basically what happened is, uh, well, Facebook right now is facing what some are calling an uh, existential crisis over their, over revelations that its user data fell into the hands of the Trump campaign. <laughs> Whether or not the attacks on the social media giant are justified, the fact is that the Obama campaign uh, used Facebook data in the same way in 2012. But the reaction from the pundits and press back then was, shall we say, somewhat different. They write. So that's what struck me right away, uh, even before knowing all the details about it. You know, they're looking for something to really come after President Trump, whatever it is. They got to find something. So now they're saying, well, they took Facebook data. Uh, well, Obama did the exact same thing, and they loved it. They thought it was they thought it was brilliant brilliant stroke and now but now facebook's in trouble because uh, the trump campaign might have had some data as well well it, it's just funny that this whole thing is a controversy when it's actually not even illegal they get facebook data at the consent of users who a lot of time agree to turn over their entire list of contacts uh, to the trump campaign or the obama campaign whatever it might be they get the consent then they get the contact list. It's not like people were ignorant of what they were doing. They clicked on whatever the button was and allowed it to happen. Uh, but what is different between the two situations is that an Obama campaign aide actually admitted that Facebook was letting them do things they would never let anyone else do because Facebook was on their side and wanted Barack Obama to be the president. That did not happen when Mr. Trump was running for office. Yeah, according to various news accounts, there was a professor at Cambridge University who built a Facebook app in about 2014 that involved a personality quiz. About 270,000 users of the app agreed to share some of their Facebook information as well as data from people on their friends list. It's 270,000 people right. who knew about it and went along with it anyway. And altogether, that roped in a, a few tens of millions with their data because you have friends and so forth. Consulting firm Cambridge Analytics, which paid for the research, later worked with the Trump campaign to help them target advertising campaigns on Facebook using the data they'd gathered on users. They say, but while the Trump campaign used Cambridge Analytica 
during the primaries that didn't use the information during the general election campaign, relying instead on voter data provided by the uh, RNC, uh, according to CBS News. It reports that the Trump campaign had tested the RNC data and it proved to be vastly more accurate than the Cambridge Analytics. So they used uh, the Republican National Committee's information. So now that's why somehow that's a big scandal all of a sudden. But uh, the same thing was done to an extent uh, in the Obama administration, and people loved it. That um, says, according to a Time Magazine account, just after Obama won re-election, the team blitzed supporters who had signed up for their app with, re- with requests to share specific online content with specific friends simply by c- clicking a button. The effort was called a Game Changer in the 2012 election, and the Obama campaign boasted that it was the most groundbreaking piece of technology developed for the campaign. They say the only difference, as far as we can discern, between the two campaigns' use of Facebook is that in the case of the Obama a campaign, the users themselves agreed to share their data with the Obama campaign as well as that of their friends. And that's where it gets you know, interesting. Uh, some of these people were willing to share their data with the Obama campaign. But, hey, could you send us all your friends' info as well? Well, the friends didn't agree to have their data shared. In any event, it was used uh, very very specifically and very well in 2012 and helped President Obama win the election. And uh, and uh, they were told uh, back then that the campaign won the race for voted voter data and it connected with young voters. His data analytics gurus were treated as heroes. <laughs> so they were <laughs> heroes back then. They figured out how to connect with people. Uh, that you know they were geniuses. And uh, but now all of a sudden it's a controversy. So it almost feels to me like it's just very interesting how these things come out. The timing. It seems like the Russia thing is dying. It's painful death because there's nothing going on. The Russia collusion. So then then here comes, you know, some of these ladies that may have had some history with the president. And I don't know if that gets any traction. And right behind that comes. Uh, oh, hey, uh, somebody they were using Facebook data. It seems to me like somebody's sitting back there trying to come up with some sort of new controversy, and when one dies, they push the next one out there to attack the current administration. Yeah, and they're really seizing on a technicality between how the Obama and Trump campaigns use data. Uh, either way, all the friends that <laughs> that these Obama supporters re- referred to the campaign didn't know that their data was going to be shared. I think we all actually know that that's what happens online all the time. Our data gets shared. That's why we get these random emails or we always have uh, alarmingly specific suggestions on the sides of our Internet pages. Uh, That's because it knows what we're doing and it can track what we're interested in or who we might support. Everyone already knows that, so for that to be a scandal now, they had this pink-haired fella uh, who was a whistleblower from Cambridge Analytica, and they interviewed him on all the big uh, mainstream media outlets, and he's he's talking about how he wasn't even working for Cambridge Analytica anymore when they supposedly helped the Trump campaign, so... From right there, he already has no knowledge of what actually happened. Uh, But then he's talking about how, you know, they they appear to have maybe done this and that. He didn't have any specifics, but the media just paraded him out there like he was the smoking gun that showed how corrupt the Trump campaign was. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And I think anyone with uh, just a little bit of a memory remembers that this was uh, talked about during when President Obama won and they loved it. It was the exact same thing. I mean, I remember it. 
I remember them talking about they 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 mastered social media. They knew how to get to people. You know, they 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 understood the new generation. And there was a whole big write up I remember reading about how they they were using you know online methods to to totally revolutionize politics. And they were they were the pioneers. And so when this news story came out, I just thought, well, what what about just a few years ago? <laughs> how how can one group be a hero and another group uh, is all of a sudden doing something that's wrong? It's interesting too how. Uh, you know, the uh, the left will turn on its own. I mean, does anyone think that that Zuckerberg is is uh, you know conservative? No. To my knowledge, he's not. <laughs> and so, but they're turning on him because anybody that they can go after to try to get a shot of the current administration, they're doing it. And uh, you know, so it's it's just really interesting that they keep throwing these uh, quote unquote scandals out there. In 2013, Maxine Waters actually talked about how Barack Obama was compiling a database. Uh, bigger than we've ever seen or even heard about and sure enough we found out about the nsa and and their gigantic facility in utah that no one was allowed to go into or even take a look at hardly uh they they have been masters at collecting data like you said beyond facebook just in general getting data surveilling people illegally it looks like being behind a lot of corruption and law enforcement uh, they have weaponized a lot of agencies against conservatives. So here they are trampling on the laws and the norms of the country in every aspect. And the media doesn't even talk about it. They they thoughtlessly go along with it. As soon as Barack Obama says he never had any scandals, they, they support that wholeheartedly. And yet the scandals were everywhere if you would just uh, believe that they existed. If you actually looked at it uh, honestly and without a tremendous amount of bias. There were so many scandals you couldn't even keep track of them. The, the scandals covered up other scandals, covered up other scandals. I mean, it was just so many. Uh, yeah. It also makes me think that if you want to keep something secret, you don't tell Maxine Waters about it. <laughs> well, yeah. How are you allowed to brag about yeah. data mining and, and collecting a lot of private information about millions of Americans? And as soon as the Trump campaign does like a hundredth of that amount, uh, if that, if if they even got that far, then there's all this outrage. I get targeted ads all the time from places that I'm not interested in. But somebody got my info and they they send me something, and that happens all the time. Companies do that. I mean, I guess we'd like to think there is some privacy in data, but you know, it's always out there, like you say. I mean, even even the Austin bomber didn't they catch him with it looking at his Google searches? Well, I mean, is that how who how how can you just go look at somebody's Google search? I guess. You can. <laughs> they do. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, to think that everyone's data is private is obviously not um, <laughs> maybe a little bit naive. I wish it was true. I wish it, you know, it was honest. But they, they somebody's got the the info. I mean, it's sitting somewhere, so people do access it. Well, companies like Apple obviously are able to keep a record of everything that their customers would search on any of their devices. That's why the FBI recently had a conflict with them saying, open up this this terrorist the San Bernardino terrorist phone let us see what was in there so we can get some clues as to why this happened and Apple didn't want to give up the passcode they didn't want to breach consumer privacy but the fact is they knew the passcode they could have given it up uh, had they chosen to that's just how it goes there are companies that have the data there are law enforcement agencies that can get access to it whenever they need to uh, in, even in the case that Austin Bomber, like you said, his Google searches, we, we'd probably like to think that not everyone could know that so easily. 
but it doesn't take long for an agency with many millions of dollars backing it to go in there and find that kind of information. Yeah, it's really, really interesting times in which we live. Uh, there's a great right, a great book at thetrumpet.com on America under attack. And so when you see all these these uh, scandals coming up in the media and, and different attacks, you have to understand where that's all coming from. America under attack is the book to check that out, to uh, to read and to, to re, uh, check it out and understand what's going on there. The uh, trumpet.com top story today is Why Study History by uh, Trumpet Daily Radio Show host Stephen Flurry. And a couple of uh, comments here from that. He says, the subject is often undervalued today, but we cannot afford to ignore it or take a negative approach to our study. And then he has a quote here from Thomas Jefferson who said, if a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never well never will be. <laughs> uh, you can't be free and be in a, a civilization and be ignorant. <laughs> you just can't be. It's funny, too. I was thinking as I was reading that, uh, oh, boy, you can't quote Thomas Jefferson, right? <laughs> People don't like him anymore. The American founders understood the importance of studying history. He also writes, fast forward a couple hundred years, what would what would the founding fathers think about the American people's attitude toward history today? We had that story yesterday about that one college that wants to do away with history. Uh, history is undervalued, de-emphasized, rewritten, or ignored across the board. Today, 10% of Americans thinks, think Judge Judy is a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> She's not? What? <laughs> 43% don't know which amendment grants them freedom of speech, and more than 50% are unable to name the three branches of their own government. You know, when I was reading that, I was thinking about all the kids out there protesting about, you know, guns and this and that and the other. Uh, how many of that, how, where would they fall in this? Do they, do they know the way the government works? Do they know the three branches of government? Do they know how laws are passed? Do they know about amendments? Do they know, I mean, what do they know to be out there as the experts? Some conservative students with wooden spoons as their supposed microphones actually went out there among these various walkouts around the country and were asking what the purpose of it was. And they were just saying, guns, it's it's guns fault. And they couldn't articulate beyond that. Or they would just straight up say they didn't know why they were out there. And and that's the type of mind that is fertile for takeover. That's the kind of mind that you can easily brainwash when they haven't even put 10 seconds of rational thought into it before getting emotionally stirred up. I saw it today, too. There's a headline. The uh, Obamas wrote a, a letter to the students, the walkout students, and congratulated them on their bravery and said that... Um, uh, you know, young people have been so important in, you know, in m making uh, great changes and this and that. I thought, really, I wonder what, what is he talking about? So I just did a little research as to what great movements have been started by young people. And there's a few write-ups on it. And it's all things that have happened in the last couple of years. And it's all like LGBTQ rights and, um, oh, what was it? There was a few other ones. Things that are actually going in the wrong direction. It's actually the moral slide the other way. and uh, uh, But that was the big list of what the young people have done. It's easy to read something like that and think, yes, of course. But then when you stop and think, well, wait a second, what what have young people been at the forefront of that's been positive? I can't, there's not much I could think about. Well, there never will be a movement like that that is entirely pushed by young people that is actually going to be positive because they're going to be strong adults 
moral leaders who would actually uh, push those things before the children ever had ever had to get down to it. Yeah. The, the reason that the children are out front right now is because there's a moral vacuum, there's a leadership vacuum, and the, the corrupt adults actually are leaning on children to do it. If there were real leaders out there, children would never even have the chance to do something like this. Uh, they would be taught by those leaders and raised the right way to where when they're actually adults, they can get into situations like this. Yeah, even these kids that, that uh, are kind of out there in the forefront of this anti-gun movement, if they, they said a few things and they had no adult support, people were just like, well, okay, it would be over. Like, you'd never hear anything else about it. But they, like you say, they put them on CNN, interview them, and put them in the town hall, and then support them and write, you know, letters from the former president. That's the only thing keeping it going. Uh, but uh, there's a couple other quotes here from this history article. It says, uh, today, you can graduate from George Washington University with a history degree without ever having taken a single college-level United States history class. That doesn't even seem... That doesn't seem possible. At a university named after George Washington. <laughs> right. That's unbelievable. <laughs> well, sometimes it, people will say, you know, your degree is not worth the paper it's written on. And more <laughs> and more. Sometimes that's true. <laughs> more and more that's true. And finally, it says 88% of elementary school teachers consider teaching history a low priority. Many of these teachers are afraid to teach U.S. history. They're afraid. Uh, the, an article argued it was a New York Times article because they don't want to offend any of their students or their students' parents. Yeah, because revisionist history—you can't you can't talk about it because it might offend somebody. Well, that's the only type of history that anyone really gets excited about now is revisionist history—history history that focuses on America's faults, how they wronged the Indians, how they wronged the blacks, how they wronged the Mexicans. Uh, every group you could think of. America wronged them somehow, believe it or not, and we can write thousands of pages about that, and that's something we should get fired up, showing that this whole country needs to be radically transformed. It was built on racism and bigotry and genocide, and we need to stop that. That's what that's what the leftist leaders are teaching, and that's the only type of excitement that's stirred up about history anymore, history that is full of lies. American history does need to focus on heroes because the reality, the truth is that America is a very primarily good nation. When it comes to its history, there are a lot of high points and very few low points. So it's incredibly dishonest to focus on the very few low points. Yeah, I was trying to think about when I went to school. Um, we had history classes. I think probably probably some history was just uh, not covered. That was probably the big glaring uh, issue. I don't remember there being a lot of anti-U.S rhetoric at that time i mean they, they would talk about other cultures and things but i don't remember it ever being an anti-us uh bias but i think there were things that they just didn't cover so that's probably what what i missed in some of those some of those things but i don't remember ever ever hearing anybody come out and you know be against the u.s i just don't i don't think even the kids would have stood for it i think most of them would have been like i don't agree with that at all and that's not that long ago that's you know i don't know 20 some years ago so things have changed. Well, yeah, because I don't remember that even, I think 2008 was the last year that I was in public school and that uh, there wasn't any issue like that. We did have pretty much normal U.S. history classes. I had a pretty good understanding of who the best U.S. presidents of all time were, for example, or what the purposes of the various wars were and, and how America won them. But 
uh, this seems to be a pretty recent trend, not 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 really past the last decade, but within the last decade, where it's been more overt, the attack on American history and trying to undermine that. Uh, they're not even really trying to be subtle anymore. All these campus courses about being, or college courses about being, uh, or I guess, having white guilt and trying to deal with your whiteness and things like that, that were completely unheard of as recently as 10 years ago or less. Yeah, uh, it used to be, and, and probably still is this way, but when you get into your upper years of high school, you start taking college prep classes. and But the college prep classes were in things like English and... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if history was one of those or not. Obviously, mathematics, some some of those courses. Mm-hmm. But I just think about some of the things they're teaching at colleges now, and I think, well, you don't really need any preparation. No. You just show up with a bad attitude, and you're ready to go. That's really what it is, and they're not learning anything. I mean, they they can't even tell you that there are two genders and that sex and gender are basically the same thing. They're not two very different things. One of them being mostly determined by society. Yeah, there's a story actually today in uh, or the last couple of days coming out of Canada, uh, which they're very progressive as they would view it, uh, where they, I don't know, some, some companies that deal with the public are not going to say mother and father any longer. That's too offensive. So they have to just say parent or they, I think they can't say, they can't, you can't identify, everything has to be gender neutral and everyone's confused <laughs> like on what to say, hello, person. Or, you know. Do you remember? Do you remember that clip from earlier this year where the prime minister Justin Trudeau was talking to a big group of students? I think it was, and one of them, in his question, happened to say the word mankind, and oh. he said, "I prefer person kind because it's more inclusive." Right. And it's it's that's that's something that if people were sane, should have been jeering him for. They should have been openly laughing at him for saying something like that but they all just looked at him with a straight face and they nodded and they took it and that's just uh i guess the direction we're going now where even saying mankind is offensive well why stop there i mean even saying person kind do you think you're better than the animals i mean where does it (laughs) stop it doesn't you know eventually you can't you wouldn't be able to identify anything Mm. you would just have to point and grunt i guess well you know that company Goldman Sachs yeah. there was actually a woman on Tucker Carlson who said Goldman Sachs is offensive to her <laughs> because it has the term man in it and he said gold person well, yeah exactly <laughs> he said would gold person Sachs be better she's like actually yeah it would I think that would be a bit less offensive <laughs> <What>? <laughs> oh boy where will it stop and this it's because people who have this mental disorder of political correctness keep on get, getting a platform and they keep getting taken seriously this, this stuff should be rejected immediately and with an uproar of laughter and yet it just is accepted immediately right now yeah i was thinking even even in the the context of studying history here where mr stephen flurry writes about how the grade school teachers or the elementary school teachers consider teaching history a low priority i was just thinking how how can you in the current climate how could you even get students to sit there and listen and actually you know have a serious uh, lesson about history when people are bickering about whether or not you can say man you know we're, we're so far gone from just common sense that how could you teach anybody anything at this point point? and why would kids listen when they're seeing the parkland activists and they're out there being held up as the utmost authority and they're basically telling everyone that they know more than the founding fathers and that the second amendment is obsolete that these young kids who haven't had a lot of life experience actually know more 
So why would any kids sitting there in class now actually have any respect for history if they're led to believe that the founding fathers are just outdated, history is outdated, and there's nothing we can learn from it? Yeah, I imagine they would just shout their teachers down probably if they tried to teach mm-hmm. those things. Uh, also, make sure you stop and check out the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today. Uh, a couple of topics, including uh, some really great history about breaking the four-minute mile. Uh, if you can run a, a mile under four minutes, you're, a, uh, you're fast. Uh, a lesson in perseverance. It was May 6, 1954 in Oxford, England. Uh, 25-year-old medical student Roger Bannister uh, cracked track and field's most notorious barrier, the four-minute mile. A lot of great lessons about perseverance there and some some good audio clips from him, too, and he explains some of his history. So really good uh, program there, very inspirational. Uh, one of the topics talked about today. And there's some great write-ups on perseverance at thetrumpet.com, including ever hear your child say this, this is too hard. It says, gives you a great opportunity to uh, talk about uh, perseverance, and you can look up that r- article at thetrumpet.com as well. So uh, lots of good information there, and uh, that is all the time that we have for today. We could persevere, but uh, we're not supposed to. We're supposed to be done. Uh, that's all the time we have uh, on Trumpet Radio Live today. Make sure you listen for the uh, Kia David and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show coming up in a bit. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.